You are listening to the Think Brick Australia podcast. Think Brick Australia represents the clay, brick and paver manufacturers of Australia. Brick by Brick, our podcast will discuss technical information and architectural case studies with special guests. I'm your host, Elizabeth McIntyre, the CEO of Think Brick Australia. On today's podcast, this is a, a special treat. We're actually sitting in kiln number four at Littlehampton Bricks, and I'm absolutely delighted and been very spoiled to be joined with one of the original owners of Littlehampton, or the descendants of that, Mark Furrow, and Wayne, who looks after the running of Littlehampton Bricks. And I'm excited because we're going to talk about some of the processes and especially about your new range. Welcome, gentlemen. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. If we could just start and probably with you, Mark, first. How did this all come about, Littlehampton Bricks? Well, Littlehampton uh, Bricks is a very old company. It was set up in 1892, so it was one of the original brick companies uh, in Australia. I got involved much later, obviously, <laughs> uh, around about 1980. So I've been here uh, 40 odd years now. Do you feel like it's something that's always been in your your blood? Yeah, well, I've had a, a mixed career. I actually rode motorcycles in Europe for a while. But the brickmaking side of things, our family's always been part of it. So over 40 years, you, you tend to get very involved. And what's your favourite part of the process? I think certainly coming up with the new products and new designs. We're very passionate here about both design and quality. And just, Wayne, you've been kind enough to take us through the kilns. How did you get involved in, in bricks? I, um, I was looking for a job, actually, <laughs> and I seen an ad in the paper and applied and got the job. I was, my background's in sales, so I've worked in sales now for well, nearly, nearly 30 years. And I've done all different types of, worked in all different types of sales. I've sold door-to-door, I've worked in retail, I've worked as a landscape estimator for a landscaping company. Uh, and then I've seen the job come up for Little Hampton Bricks, and I'm so glad I found it, I've got to say. What was the original job? Oh, it was, it's as a sales rep, which right. is still what I basically do. I still do the same thing. But we're a very, well, we're a small company, so we get involved in lots of different parts of the business. And Wayne, what's your favourite aspect I think, as Mark said before, it's the design aspect, but it's it's the, the new things that we can do. But some of them are old. Some of them are rehashes on old ideas. Mm. The new products that we've been making over the last five years, some of the new pavers, my background's in paving, so I get quite excited about paving. And I get a, a lot of response from local architects, landscape architects, councils. They use us a lot. Uh, all over, not only South Australia, but we've actually started sending some over interstate as well. And Mark, just over the years, how have you seen things change in just the brick industry and the arena? I guess probably there's been a lot of changes since 1980. To give you an idea, there was 100 or so brickworks in Australia in 1980. Now that's been peeled back to maybe 15 brickworks. It tends to have been the... uh, uh, the bigger multinationals seem to have produced most of the products. Small guys, it's been very difficult. It's been, I, I guess, a little bit like a corner deli where there's supermarkets. <laughs> but, you know, we, we take that side of it as being still here in amongst that. It's quite a good thing because we've just innovated and innovated and innovated 
and the product that we're now producing would be as good as anything in the world. Mm. So we're very proud of that. And if I could just talk a little bit about what makes the land different. You mentioned the size, but maybe can you talk through the process? Because, you know, a lot of our audience are used to sort of large manufacturing processes. So maybe if you could just take us through the difference in the process with so land bricks. We're a, I mean, we're a boutique manufacturer. Mm-hmm. We still use a batch kiln. The beauty of a batch kiln is it's flexible. It means that we can make new products, we can make old products, we can design new stuff. We get help from architects here in the Adelaide Hills that have helped us design some of our new bricks, some of our new pavers have come through landscape architects. So the beauty of us being the size that we are, to compete we have to make the best possible product we can, so we rely on making the best quality product that we can, that we can make. And that might not always be the cheapest product in the market, but it's the best. When you, we were talking just through the tour, um, obviously for architects in particular, they've got a lot of concern about wastage. And there's never really, when it comes to clay bricks, any wastage because that's always reused. But I wonder whether you could talk to us a little bit about the oil because that's particularly interesting. Okay. Yeah. So um, there's no main mains gas line mm-hmm. here. Um, so we, I think... These old kilns that we're sitting in, I think they started with timber. Um, yes, it would. Then coal, bunker fuel, coal. Yep. Um, they've been fueled on many things. Yeah. So, but now we use uh, recycled oil. So you'll see the cookers trucks that go around and collect all the fish and chip oil and the engine oil. That all gets refined, and we buy it, and we then use that to fire our kilns each week. I think it's about thirty thousand liters. About thirty thousand. Yeah. Yeah, so... And that's a waste product in itself. It's a waste product, yes. Yeah. And what we were able to witness, and you said you have around two or three hand graders, and that is exceptionally unique. Could you just explain the process of grading the bricks and, and why they need to be graded? So a batch kiln is going to... You're going to get variation between the products. Mm-hmm. Uh, the pallets or the, the packs are stacked too high in the kiln. Um, so when they come out... For us to give the best possible product, the best quality product that we can, we have people that will actually go through each of those pallets and not only grade but blend the pallets or packs together. Mm-hmm. So that enables us, we know that when we send something out that it's been graded to start with. We know it's good quality. And every single brick is actually being handled Absolutely. by human every, hands. Every single product we make has been touched by somebody. Wayne, you've mentioned regarding the kiln, and it's a smaller kiln, and we were talking about how some of the temperatures differ. Could you elaborate on that a little bit for our audience? Yes, yeah, so um, depending on what we're making will depend on the temperature that, that they're aiming for. Most of our products are cooked at around about 1,100 degrees between 11 and 1200 degrees. Plates actually takes three days to get to the temperature that we need it to before we can actually like physically cook the pavers or the bricks that we're making. My knowledge, uh, like a, a tunnel kiln, which is a continuous, like the Domino's pizza oven basically, <laughs> goes through continuously at, at a lower temperature. It's still a high temperature, it's still a clay product, they're still good, it's just a lower temperature. It gives our products a lot more variation. And I was really interested to know, I mean, this is a weekly process for you, so you normally start the kiln up on a... Monday. That's right. And turn it off on a... Thursday. There you go. And And then we can open it up on a Monday. So basically, it's a seven-day process for one kiln load for us to make. And then all hand-graded. Pretty much, yep. Now, Mark, one of the specialities of Little Hampton Bricks is that there's a lot of heritage buildings in South Australia, and in fact, all over. 
Australia. You do a lot of work with different shapes and, and heritage. Can you just explain a little bit about? Yeah, basically, because the Roots are a um, very old company, we've always been involved in the intricate shapes. Some of the events and camp bricks and that we make are uh, from houses in the late 1800s. And there's not much Australia-wide that we can't match up. So we end up with some great projects Australia-wide uh, with renovation heritage architects. Mm-hmm. In fact, for some of the museums we've made up specialty shapes uh, in the last few years. Just for those projects? Just for them projects, specialty shapes. So, yeah, it's something we can do. Now, one of the most colourful bricks that you've got are a lot of your glazed range. They're, they're a little bit painted. Can you take us through how do you get those colours for the glazed bricks in your range? Okay, so they'll basically make up a clay slurry mm-hmm. and it's tinted with colour, which is then painted onto the brick. It then sits on, on the floor to dry for two to three weeks. So basically when it goes through the heating process, the cooking process, it goes actually it's cooked into the face of the brick. So... It's there, it's permanent, it can't come off. And then how do you adjust the colours on that? That is actually probably something out of my control. That's more something Campbell, who does, he's our brick maker, yes. battery manager, he would buy the colours that we want to make and, and that would be how. But it's still a, quite a blending process. Oh, look, it, it is a blending process. And, you know, it's a bit of hit and miss too sometimes. We will have a colour in mind and then even once you get the glazes on, it depends on the firing temperature and whether it's reduction firing or not, uh, as it depends on what colour it's going to come out. So there's a bit in it, but we've certainly been going more and more into glazes and the beauty of that is some of the some of the uh, glazed bricks that we're making are truly world class, which is great to be made in Australia. Absolutely. And I think, you know, what we see um, through architectural trends is that it it allows people to create that feature wall if they do want or a little bit of a change um, without having to sort of, whilst it has a structural integrity as well. It's something unique. And we're we're trying to, I suppose, everything we're making now is at that upper echelon, both in quality and in design. And not so much looking now of what's happening in Australia, we are working on what's the best in the world. And I'd like to think probably over the next 12 months we'll have some absolute world-leading products. Well, we did get a little bit of a sneak peek in the research and development um, department, so I can tell our listeners that, that it was really exciting to be able to see that you're making that product here that so often we do import, which is which is fabulous. Yeah, it was, it's, a, it's been, uh, I suppose, an issue that there's been a lot of imported products. We um, looked at it and said, well, look, why can't we be making these products here in Australia, Australian jobs, without the uh, carbon footprint bringing them from overseas? So we've ramped up, we've uh, lifted our game, quite a lot actually. Now we're really, we'd like to think that we're right at the top of that design thing worldwide. Now just going back to the shapes, how do you change the shapes to make those bricks that you need? How does that work? Because obviously with extruding machines, it sort of lends itself to a modular cut. But when you're making the different shapes? Well, that depends on what shape you're making. I guess there's a, there's a certain range that can be quite easily extruded and that's fine with those products to extrude them because it's probably a, a lot simpler process. But there is certain products that we do press 
mm-hmm. and with those particular products we'll make up a specific pressing box and um, press them. So it's either or. And then how long does that, how does that affect the, the manufacturing process when you're pressing them as opposed, like does it take longer? It takes longer and so it's not hit and miss because we know what we're trying to do but you will actually, when you're actually grading those, there's a fair percentage of them that just don't quite make it mm. because because of that reason they're handmade. So it's a fairly involved process. Yeah. yeah. Now, one of your newest ranges that hopefully I won't blush, it is called Blush. <laughs> Can you just talk to me a little bit about how that came about? There was a, there's a local architect that actually came along and helped us to make that. But what we noticed here in South Australia especially, there was a, a, like a trend trending towards that sort of recycled brick. Mm-hmm. And that was the version that we came up with. So designed to look like a, a brick that had been in a wall and then they'd clean the wall, like the old bricks off, but you can't get all of the paint off of them. So basically that was the, the design or the look that we were going for. And then how do you achieve that look in terms of getting those shades and the differential across the face of the brick? So there's a, basically it's, again, using a clay slurry. Uh, and it's using a white clay slurry and it's on a roller, basically a paint roll. If in layman's terms, I guess it's a roller. And it goes down for a while, it comes up for a while. It's on a timer. So it basically goes up, down, up, down, and rolls onto the brick. So you'll get some bricks that have that full coat on the front on the front of them, and then some have none, and then some have just a little bit, basically. We've spoken a little bit about where bricks have gone and where they're going to, and obviously you're seeing that this is a particular range that's very, very popular. What other trends do you see for the brick industry and yourselves as brick makers? Well, I guess it's ever-changing. Ever um, it tends to be a little bit led by the architectural community. But, you know, we're sort of keeping our eyes open exactly what's happening worldwide and we're trying to now start the trends here in Australia because why can't we in Australia make these products, that the, whether it be from Italy or Spain? I mean, you know, Australia's very lucky. We've got great resources, some of the best clays in in the world and it's just getting that design element in our products that we need to do to keep coming up with these new products which we are doing at the moment Mm, yeah and they look fabulous now Wayne you were mentioning to me as well we've spoken a little bit about sustainability but just outside of what we've already mentioned what sort of are there any other considerations that you guys are thinking about with regards to sustainability? I'm not sure if it was one or two or even three years ago. Mm-hmm. We actually we have 300 solar panels on our roof, basically. So while our factory machinery is running, it's actually using the sun's energy to power them. So that's one of the things that we've done. There's absolutely no little waste. So we basically keep using everything until it's finished. We're using waste oil to, to cook mm-hmm. or to make our bricks. We are going down the track of, of, of even working out our carbon fi- carbon footprint, a process that we'll go through. It's not just the carbon footprint, it's how like how long the bricks last because yes. you make a clay, a clay product, a clay paver or a clay brick, I mean that could last a thousand years. They're actually still digging clay pots up for, that have been around for thousands of years. Mm. So one would hope that one of our clay bricks is still going in 100, 200, 300, 400 years. Well, it's, it's important, I think, because our architects, obviously a lot of them are trying to achieve net zero carbon mm. and a lot of them have used bricks in their buildings to achieve that as well, um, to make their buildings more workable, 
like like you've just said, but I think when it comes to this, the longevity and life cycle of Greek, they normally measure life cycle on 50 years, and that puts all of our competitors in the same bucket as us, whereas mm-hmm. if we were to actually measure it at, at 100 years yep. or even 80 years, you know, we would come out, of course, way in front. Way in front. Well, yeah. I, I think... Rick definitely deserves better and I'll tell you why, I'm actually here to do commercial construction as well and uh, this argument comes up a bit, building a building for 50 years. Mm-hmm. I've got a little bit of an argument with Mark Tech friend that we go walking every morning but anyway, it is based on there's buildings uh, both in Handoff and all around Australia that are two, 300 years old or 200 years old and they're in perfect condition. Mm-hmm. Um, I think if the design's good, they're built well, the 50-year cycle isn't enough, and especially with paving, we probably are 40% of what we produce are pavers. Well, you know, some of these pavers in whether it be in Europe could be down 300 years. Okay. So it's and recycled and mm. used as pavers again. So I think the life cycle is something that really is a big consideration with clay brick. That 50 years probably ain't enough because, you know, long story short. We've built a couple of lightweight construction and I wouldn't do it again because um, the trouble is 30, 40 years goes past pretty quick. Mm. So clay brick gives you the longevity. Mm. Other thing, like Mark was saying before, with the clay papers, if you put them down and the base, for whatever reason, fails, you can pick them up, rebase, relay them. They haven't changed colour. They still look exactly the same as they did when you I think the university did that not long ago but with 40 year old pavers so yes yeah Yeah, why not recycle Mm. now one of the things Mark I'm not sure whether you're aware but Wayne did take us into the secret laboratory of research and development and we did see a brick that I mean I was calling the Roman because it was slender and strong but what, what would you call this new brick that you're developing at the moment? Well, it is one of those Roman bricks, you're quite correct. Basically, they're long and thin, and we've got a name for our new range that's not quite out yet, but not far off it. That's called the Milan series. And Milan's known for design, and that's basically where this product lies. We'd like to produce a world-class long brick made in Australia. And I think that we'll probably in the next few months have that fully operational. And I think, you know, the architects are going to absolutely love that. I mentioned to Wayne that a lot of architects have been using pavers to create that actual length, but with the same width. So I think we're on to a winner there. So I'm really looking forward to seeing that one. I have to come back and see the finished product. Wayne, one of my absolute pet peeves is that in Australia, as a developed nation, we are one of the lowest countries per capita that use paving, and except in South Australia. And a lot of advice we give is to local councils. But I know that you work with a lot of local government authorities and councils about paving. Tell us a little bit about some of the projects you've been involved in. Even back as far as 2013, again, because we're such a small, agile company, we actually had a request from Disney Corp to make a paver for their new Disneyland, which they were building in Shanghai. Yes. And it wasn't the standard size. Our standard size is 230 by 114 by 50. They wanted a smaller paver. And with negotiation, we actually made it. The reason they came to us is because they love the colours. We ended up producing pavers that are now, now on the ground in China. 
been used in the Disneyland Resort that which opened five years ago, I think, mm-hmm. which was a little tiny cobblestone. So that was probably from a few years ago. Mm-hmm. More recently, the Harbour Council is uh, redoing all of their Main Street area and they're up to stage four now. And they've used our mahogany in a very unique way because it's a blended paper. Mm-hmm. We just sent the papers out. We didn't actually grade them the way that they've laid them. Um, because you get dark and light size, they've used them like that. Mm-hmm. And as I've found out recently, through the architect, it's actually because it's a whaling area. And it was designed to mimic the whale bones. Basically, those dark bands were designed to mimic the, the whale bones, which I found very interesting. I could probably talk for days about the different council projects that we've been involved with, but they're, they're all over the state. There's some councils over in Victoria right now that have been specified, but we haven't quite done, done them yet. But, yeah, city councils, local um, country councils, Walker and Corn, I'm up there on Friday. They've just finishing the streetscape in Hawker and then they're going to finish Corn as well. So, And it's such a beautiful aesthetic, isn't it, Pavers? It and is. what it can really bring to a streetscape and, and some of those larger community areas. It's alive. It's a, it's a beautiful, alive product. Mm. And, I mean, the mahogany is probably my favourite and it's our most popular product, but Coach House is our most popular brick too. Fast. Mm-hmm being caught by blush but it's just alive and it, it never dulls it's it's color is always there and now that wayne's told us his favorite brick what's yours mark look it varies um it originally was the cobblestone paver and the cobblestone paver uh, got in sydney in Tronga park zoo actually yes so they're an old sort of tumbled edged uh, paver but um, now we're producing this skinny paver and it's basically like long bricks laid and there's a couple of products here that look outstanding. Mm-hmm. We've got some landscape architects working. Some jobs coming out in Brisbane, Sydney, Melbourne, mm-hmm. Perth. Yeah. So that's that's something that's really different. So we, we like the paving side because, you know, pavers can be down, like I said, hundreds of years. Mm. And there's no curing time with pavers. No curing time. The colours last forever. It is a quality product and Australian made. Yes. Uh, Wayne, what's your favourite brick project? And I might be asking. My favourite brick project? Yes. Probably, and it's from a while ago, mm-hmm. um, but it's uh, they, there's an Islamic college here in Croydon, and they built one, two, three stages onto this old building. They built this, these three new buildings, and they use our old red sandstock brick. But they also used our Tuscan, so they had face brick inside, face brick outside. That's one of my favourites. There's another one that we've just supplied up at Scotts Creek, which is in the Adelaide Hills just up here, which is one of our new bricks. It's a light earth brick, and that's, again, all face. It's face inside, it's face outside. It looks outstanding. And, Mark, what's your favourite? Well, there's quite a few, really. I, I guess the museum extensions were really exciting for us because... Not only was they using the old red sand stocks and the plinths, we also made up 30 or 40 different shapes that existed, you know, in the late 1800s. So that was, it was a lot of work, but it was certainly worth it in the end. And, that, and that's another building that'll be up in another three, 400 years. Absolutely. So we talked a little bit about how Little Hampton Brick is a boutique manufacturer. What are some of the benefits of being the size that you are? Um, I guess it's uh, flexibility. Certainly when it comes to design, we can make something fairly quick. Also is um, 
the quality. Quality is a big thing here and, you know, our breakage rate and on-site breakage rate is very low. Yeah, quality is very important. And, I mean, the, the quality comes with the grading. But having those three people at the end mm. that grade everything onto a pallet, they can make sure that when you're getting a brick on a pallet from Littlehampton Bricks, that it's first grade to start with. And we find that, uh, like, builders that are using our products, or bricklayers more so, that are laying our bricks are not having to spend any time sorting bricks. They're basically laying what we give them. And there's that real human element too, isn't it? It's, it's you know, people that know their craft and there's that craftsmanship as it comes out of the kiln to mm. when it's going to the site and I guess yeah. where it matches up. It's a real pride thing, I think, here at Littlehampton, uh, both on design and quality. Uh, and we take it seriously. You know, we just keep working on it to make it better and better. And um, I think the end product speaks for itself. It's not only the design of the bricks, but those guys that grade the bricks are probably the most important people in the, in our whole organisation. Mm-hmm. They determine what, what gets sent out to anybody. Yeah. And then what gets used in the building. That's exactly right. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Well, can I just thank you and your team for really making us feel so welcome today. And there seems to be no stopping Littlehampton from South Australia to Sydney to Shanghai. You're going everywhere. We are. And we wish you all the very best and we're excited to see some of these new things that are happening in the future. Thank you for joining us. Yeah, well, thank you very much. If you have enjoyed this podcast, please follow, rate and review our podcast. We are always looking for new ways to think brick. If you have an idea of what you'd like to hear about, there's a link in our show notes to let us know.